welcome back to another edition of the My Two Cents Podcast. This is my WWE Survivor Series 2023 review. And let me just state this out right now. This event literally was basically a, if you could put it as anything, this was a television-like special event. That's the only thing I could give it. This didn't feel like a premium live event to me. The only thing premium about this event was literally the war game matches. The other matches were not premium to me. They were literal standard televised matches. And I'll break that down more when I talk about it. But let's just start the show. First thing I want to start off with is the women's war games match. Because that will start off. You'll have damage control, which consists of Bailey, Asuka, Kyrie Saint, and the women's world champion, Io Sky, going against Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, Shotzi, and Becky Lynch. Team Bianca would win the match by pinfall when Charlotte would look to hit Kyrie with the spear, but Bailey would move Kyrie out of the way and eat that. This allowed everyone on Team Bianca to hit their finish on Bailey. Shotzi with a senton, Bianca with the KOD, then finally Becky with a manhandle slam from the top turnbuckle through a table to pin Becky, well, Bailey. Now, everyone on Bianca's team wore. Uh, black and pink, white and pink, some ensemble with pink, except for Becky, she wanted to stand out. She had the black and silver piece. Um, team Bianca would get the advantage. Uh, weapons that were used in this match were candlesticks, chairs, trash cans, trash can lids, chains, and a table. Now, Becky and Bailey would start the match off, and the order of participants going into the match will be as follows. First, you'll have Shotzi, then you have Eosky, then you have Bianca, then you have Kyrie, then you have Charlotte, then you have Asuka. Highlights of the match would be Eo popping Kyrie Saint in the air so Kyrie can hit an insane elbow onto chairs that were on top of Shotzi. Bianca Belair using her two braids that she had for this match and using them as weapons. In this matchup, Eos guy jumping off the top of the cage with a trash can on her head. This is kind of a moment that Eos guy does in every War Games match she's in. Um, you would see an image of Damage Control standing on one side of the ring as Team Bianca's on the mat in the other ring, and Damage Control have Kindle sticks standing there. It was a cool image. Uh, Charlotte Flair hitting a moonsault off of the top of the cage onto Damage Control. Those are like the highlights of this match. And to me, this women's war games match was it was better than last year because you had the conflicting of Charlotte and Becky. You don't know if they're still together. You don't know if they're able to coexist with one another. At one point in the match, you would see them literally stare at one another, and it seems they're about to come to blows, but you see uh EO and Kyrie shove Charlotte and Becky face-to-face, then you start seeing them get on the same page, beat up everybody on Team Damage Control, then they would get up once again, stare at one another, then they will hug one another, so it seems that they killed the beef, and it seems that they're all cool again. Also, in this match, you had Bailey being basically the MVP, and you even have on commentary, Michael Cole, Bailey's sworn nemesis, say that Bailey is the MVP for Damage Control in this match, because Going into this match for damage control, you always had that irking feeling that Bailey felt as the outcast, as this was once her group that she like cultivated and curated. 
now it's turned into a different thing with them adding Asuka in and Asuka, Kyrie, and Io speaking Japanese and Dakota kind of now being the translator and translating what they're saying to Bailey and Bailey just feeling the odd piece. So you had that going in here. Bailey, and it just seems that that just got dropped. Bailey was able to work with all her teammates and she was able to basically move them out of the way so she could eat the hits. So it seems that Bailey is showing members on damage control that hey she is trustworthy hey she is still good do not turn on her at any point that's the way i feel that this was going with this women's war games match for at least team damage control that was the story they were telling for that side while as i said before on team bianca's side it was all about charlotte and becky and they were able to come together and coexist and actually dead their feud and actually seems that they're cool once again so that's how team bianca would beat damage control and I feel that this match was better than it was last year, at least from my recollection. I probably got to watch last year's uh, Women's War Games match to make a proper, like, definitive stand on that. But from my recollection right now, this Women's War Games match was better than last year's. But again, Team Bianca is still the winner. And now we go into the next matchup. We will have the Intercontinental title being defended. Gunther going against The Miz, which everyone knew that Gunther would retain his Intercontinental Championship, but he did it by submission, by locking in the Boston Crab, to turning it into the Lion Tamer slash Walls of Jericho. And that's how The Miz would tap out. I'm just going to be point blank with this. This was a TV match. Gunther and Miz was a TV match. Everybody knew it going into Survivor Series. Everyone knew that Gunther was going to beat Miz. People just wanted to see, okay, what are they going to do or how long this match was going to actually uh, survive. The only big thing out of this match to me was that Miz was able to kick out of a powerbomb that Gunther put him, like, gave to him. Miz was able to kick out of that. So it made Gunther actually continue to put a beat down on Miz. Miz actually did work on Gunther's leg because Gunther is a big guy. So Gunther has to put all of his weight on his legs to kind of walk it out. So I see the I see the madness, not the method, but I see the method to madness for why Miz would go after Gunther's leg in this match here. So that was the thing here, but this was a standard television match. This could have been literally put on Monday Night Raw, and I don't think anybody would have really sneezed at this if anything it probably got better praise for it to be on a tv match on a television show instead of a premium live event because when you're on a premium live event you expect something uh bigger than what we got out of here from gunther and miz and again it's not that they didn't do well it's just that everyone knew okay this is going to be what it is and gunther's going to win you weren't going to get a uh, level of a Gunther versus Tommaso Ciampa style match here. You wasn't going to get a Gunther versus uh, Chad Gable type match here, or even a Gunther versus Bronson Reed style match here. You knew you weren't going to get that. So again, I'm one of the biggest Miz guys, and I have been literally for over a decade. It probably started when he was teaming up with uh, John Morrison that I was actually a guy that actually rooted for the Miz. So for Miz to get this match with Gunther and actually get to do do what he can do with Gunther. It was cool, but you knew you weren't winning this. We all knew it. Now, they did give a shout out to Chris Jericho in this matchup because they did say that Chris Jericho holds the most reigns as being a nine-time Intercontinental Champion because if Miz would have won, he would have tied with Chris Jericho because Miz stands at eight. So for them to mention Chris Jericho here, I did like that. And also they did mention Edge as well 
because they listed down some of the past Intercontinental Champions and they said Edge. So again, that was cool too because usually WWE don't like to mention past superstars that are at a different company. And with Chris Jericho and Edge, Adam Copeland over there at AEW, for them to get their names shouted out and remembered on uh, WWE Survivor Series in this matchup for the Intercontinental title, it was great as a fan. So that's the only great things about this that I did like, but this was a standard televised like televised match. Next one up, Santos Escobar going against Dragon Lee. Again, another standard televised match up here. Santos would win by pitfall, hitting the South of the Border Destroyer, aka the Canadian Destroyer. They name it South of the Border because Santos is from Mexico, so there you go. And then Santos would finish Dragon Lee off by hitting the Phantom Driver for the win. Again, another standard like television match. They could have literally put this on SmackDown. And again, I think this would have got higher praise being in on SmackDown. And I think they would have got more time with it being on SmackDown. I think this was enough time for what it was because you got to give the War Games matches ample cool enough time for people to set up and do what they got to do in these War Game matches. But this was just another standard television matchup. It's, uh, it is what it is. Santos winning, it doesn't hurt Dragon Lee. Dragon Lee's still up and coming. He has no true story. Santos' whole story is that he is stepping away from LWO, but in the treacherous way of turning his back on Ray, betraying Ray, and then attacking Carlito. So Santos is supposed to be this big bad for a SmackDown on their side. Um, Dragon Lee, he's supposed to do what he's supposed to do, which step up for Rey Mysterio, because Rey Mysterio calls Dragon Lee the next guy up to be the great luchador in WWE. So that's the reason why Dragon Lee took Carlito's spot here because Carlito's injured. And that's the reason why he couldn't go against Santos. So that's the reason why we have this match. This was a standard television match, period, point blank. I don't think I need to go more into it, to be completely honest with you. Next up, the Women's World Championship matchup. You have Rhea Ripley going against Zoe Starks. Rhea will retain her championship by pitfall by hitting the Riptide for the win. Again, standard television match. The only reason why it wasn't television is because Rhea Ripley, she doesn't defend her uh, Women's World Championship on television that much. And as a matter of fact, she doesn't really wrestle on television that much. She's basically a Roman Reigns circa, what, 2021? Where Roman would show up on television, do some backstage promos here and there, and just and be in some backstage segments, and then like, okay, cool, you'll see me wrestle at the main events of the pay-per-views. This happened here with Rhea. She's here wrestling Zoe Starks on a pay-per-view or a premium live event. Zoe Starks, she did what she could do, but I mean, nah. This was again another standard television matchup. And it's not that Zoe and Rhea couldn't have done a better match. I just feel, again, with War Games being the heavy focal point of the whole entire show, you just threw a couple of matches onto this pay-per-view to just be like, okay, we'll just fill the whole match, well, the card out with these matches so they can fill the time voids so we can have the War Game matches and everybody will be sent home happy. I think nobody's going to remember this match Rhea versus Zoe Starks. Nobody's going to remember the Santos versus Dragon League. Nobody's going to remember the Gunther versus Miz. So again, all three of these matches, which all came together, literally back to back to back, were all televised matches. Period, point blank. Next time, and 
what I mean by next time, next year for Survivor Series. If you feel that you only need to have the war game matches, guess what? Have the two war game matches and put a big, heavy blood feud match in between it, or two of them. You could have literally done two heavy, big, like, bloody, like, feuds matches in between these two war game matches, and I think everybody would have been fine with a four-match card. I think everybody truly is fine because if you mean to tell me I would have got two war game matches and two matches that were, I'm not going to say on the caliber of a Gunther versus a Sheamus of Clash of the Castle, but something of probably like a Gunther versus uh, Tommaso Ciampa, a Gunther versus Chad Gable on the show. I think people would have took that on the show. And then you would have gave me like a Rhea Ripley going against, who could she win against on here? Uh... A Raquel Rodriguez or made it into a triple threat. I think people would have did that. I think people would have been fine with that. But having these standard televised matches here on this show, it just didn't work. It didn't at all. Now, moving over to the men's war game matches, well, match, you had Team Judgment Day, which was JD McDonough, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, Dominic Mysterio, and Drew McIntyre going against Team Dream. I called it Team Dream because Dusty Rhodes has had at least a touching in each man career in this team, which was Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn, Jay Uso, Seth Rollins, and the questionable Randy Orton. Now, the reason why I say questionable was because throughout the night, it was the big question of was Randy going to show up because you had backstage segments throughout the night of Sammy being worried. Jay had to calm Sammy down saying, hey, yo, Randy's going to be here, but we should worry about him being here because I don't know if he wants to team with us because of me, because I was a guy that took him out last year. As a matter of fact, we were the people that took him out last year. So you had that going on and you had before the match even happened of everybody of team dream coming together in the locker room, except for Randy. Randy isn't there. You have Seth freaking out. Seth asking Cody, Ayo, is Randy going to be here? Cody says, yes, he's going to be here. So we go into war games where it's technically four or five, because Randy is not there at this time. Now, each team had their own color schemes. Judgment Day will have black and white, even with Priest being black and white. Still same thing with Drew. Um, Team Dream, their color attire was camouflage. Uh, Seth and Finn Balor would start the match. With Team Judgment Day having the advantage, the order of participants will be as follows. J.D. McDonough will come in, then Jey Uso, then Damian Priest, then Sami Zayn, then Drew McIntyre, then Cody, then Dominic, and then finally, Randy Orton would appear, and Randy would be the last guy to enter into War Games. But before Randy did enter into War Games, we would get this little moment where Rhea Ripley would come down as you see Team Dream is being beat down in the ring. You saw Damian Priest uh, hit Seth Rollins with a razor's edge through a table, and Rhea Ripley would run down with the Money in the Bank briefcase, run down with a referee, and you see her about to hand over the briefcase so Priest could basically turn this into a World Heavyweight Championship match so he could pin Seth to become the World Heavyweight Champion. But before the person could even announce the cash-in, Randy Orton's music would hit, and Randy Orton would come out here. Randy Orton is jacked. I mean, my man got bigger. 
he was bigger than the last time that we seen him. He's still cut up and chiseled. Let's not get it twisted. But he is just bigger. I was sitting here with my brother, who was one of the biggest Randy Orton fans when Randy first even debuted. And I mean, whenever he debuted with, like, Evolution. And he's been a fan for that long. He, me and him both even said, yo, he got bigger. So Randy is noticeable. Even on commentary, they would mention that Randy's bigger. So that tells you, you notice it off top. Um, weapons that were used in this match were kindle sticks, chairs, a baton, a steel pipe, and a table. Solid men's war games match here. To end the whole match, you will see Team Dream hit their uh, signatures and finishers on different members of Team Judgment Day. Dominic, he would eat a RKO from Randy. Uh, Priest, he would eat a super kick from Jay and then a curb stomp from Seth. You would see... Uh, Drew get hit with a Cody Cutter and then a Uso Splash from Jay Uso. JD McDonough, he would... Well, no, JD McDonough, he would get hit with a Super RKO whenever JD would try to leave the cage because he sees himself being uh, prowled by Team Dream, being surrounded. That's a better word. And he tries to escape. You see Sammy and Seth climb up the cage to meet JD. They grab him, and Randy's just standing right there in the middle of the ring, and you, everybody knows what's happening. Everybody knows what's about to come about. You see Sammy and Seth throw JD to Randy, and Randy will catch him with an RKO, and you see Randy give the blessing to Cody to tell Cody to finish this, and Cody would hit Priest with a crossroads to beat Priest and for Team Dream to win the Men's War Games match. Now, going into uh, one particular thing about this War Games match, when Randy did come in and make the save, and you see all the Team Dream working together, they even hit a synchronized five-man hanging uh, man DDT on members of the Judgment Day. You see Randy Orton, he starts doing the whole prowling, beating on the mat, and he looks like he's about to RKO one of the members of Judgment Day. But he turns over and he sees Jay. He's tired. He goes over to Jay and he starts beating up on the mat. And he looks like he wants to RKO Jay. Jay would turn around and he would lock eyes with Randy. And Randy, he will look at Jay and tell him, I didn't forget. So you have that moment from Jay and Randy. Randy's telling Jay he didn't forget about being put on the shelf because of Jay and his actions. Jay would tell Randy he's sorry, Oose. And you see uh, Jay even stop Randy from getting attacked by Priest by Jay super kicking Priest. So that tells you that Jay is like, sorry, he's truly turned into a different person. He's not the same guy that he once was with his bloodline, with his family members. He's turned a new leaf. So we have a new Jay Uso here. So that's one part of the story that we did at least kill off. So will Randy and Jay still have beef? Who's to know? We have to see on Monday Night Raw. But that does take away as something that Drew McIntyre has been saying since he's been getting at Jay Uso. Drew has been saying that Jay never apologized to him for screwing him over all those times that he could have been the world champion when he almost was beating Roman. So with Jay apologizing to Randy, maybe we'll get the opportunity to see Jay apologize to Drew on Monday Night Raw. Will Drew accept it? We have no idea. There's a lot of questions that are now being buzzed after this main event because we see Team Dream in the ring. We see everybody 
and ask the virus is about to go off. By God, CM Punk would debut. CM Punk would re-debut back into the WWE. The Chicago arena would go maddening. They would cheer out of their seats. I mean, it was stupid dumb. It was always rumors and circulating ever since the whole firing of CM Punk. Will CM Punk go back to WWE? And in the weeks leading up, people will always get hints at the little Easter eggs of people saying little CM Punk-isms on WWE TV. And people saying, no, that's not the real deal. Again, there was a lot of back and forth on the internet. But here we are. CM Punk is back in WWE. And the first thing I knew off top when I was sitting here and I spoke to my brother, I said, people on Twitter are going stupid. Because you'll have the side that will chant for CM Punk, and you have the people that have a strong disdain for CM Punk, and I'm just a guy that has rational opinions and rational thought process. Here's my opinion on CM Punk going back to WWE, and I mean everything I'm about to say here. CM Punk going back to WWE is one of the best things that CM Punk can do, and one of the best things that WWE can do. WWE has the opportunity to make CM Punk a bigger star once again. He's already a big star. CM Punk has amassed a cult following that will follow him anywhere he goes. He could have went to Impact, and people would have turned into Impact just to see what CM Punk is going to do. That's how much CM Punk has this cult following, okay? Punk is that guy. Punk has an aura that you cannot describe. Okay, it's just, it is what it is. Punk is literally the modern day era of Stone Cold Steve Austin of, hey, I'm going to tell you how I feel. If you don't like it too bad, shove it. That's just what it is. That is the aura. That is the reputation that CM Punk has amassed for himself throughout all his years of doing this thing, what we call professional wrestling. And that's what the professional wrestling fans love about CM Punk. He is authentic. He is himself and he is who he is. Now, people are getting at Punk for basically going back on his word of going back to WWE. Triple H, Paul Levesque, I watched a little bit of the press conference. He straight up just said, listen, Say what you want about CM Punk, but he creates, he just creates things. He will create interest. He is a talking point, a.k.a. CM Punk equals money. In WWE, they like money. If you're in a business, you like creating money. CM Punk is a man that just gravitates and makes you want to spend money to see what he's going to do, see what he's going to say. And with him being back in WWE, guess what? After what we all have seen happen at AEW, because it is as fresh as a fresh coat of paint, you know what happened over there in AEW. It wasn't secretive. It was none of that. Everyone knew exactly what happened. Or if you don't know the whole full story, Damn it, you got a good 60 to 70% of what happened over there. And as a wrestling fan, you wished that Punk and AEW would have gotten their crap together. You wish that Punk would have still been over there in AEW because when you look at it, AEW was literally supposed to be the place center tailor-made for a guy like Punk. When you go over there, you don't have the suits literally over you 
doing creative, doing everything that people like punk hate. You don't have them over there. You have free range. You have the creative ability to talk it out, do this and that, all these other things that you're not able to do in WWE, at least under the Vince McMahon regime. Under the Triple H, Paul Levesque regime, I'm not certain. I don't know. You don't hear too much about it like that. But with the Vince McMahon regime, you knew what it was. It was straight up, Vince runs this, Vince A-OKs it, or straight up kills it. We're not doing it. All these different things. CM Punk was tailor-made for AEW, but it just didn't work. It didn't. His first couple months, it was literally the perfect, perfect starting point for CM Punk. He got to do his thing with Darby Allen. He got to do some things with young guys. He got to do some things with Eddie Kingston. He got to do some things with MJF, which personally is still one of AEW's one of their best legitimate rivalries from start to finish. Well, can't even say from finish because we never really got a finish from CM Punk and MJF. It will always be left on a cliffhanger unless MJF comes to WWE. Or if CM Punk goes to back to AEW, but we, again, we still got years to find out on both sides what's going to happen with that. But all that stuff happened in Punk's beginning years, but then when he went after the world title, it all went directly to hell after that. I mean, as soon as he started going after the world title, it started going down, and I don't understand. I'm not in that locker room. Only people in the AEW locker room will know what happened. Everybody else, we're just guessing and spectating. But people are getting at CM Punk for going back to WWE, calling him a hypocrite, calling him this and that. Hey, yo, dog, listen, people change. And when we saw him be suspended from AEW television, literally from late of last year to early this year, there were reports of CM Punk being at WWE backstage and reports where AEO Punk is there and he's talked to Triple H, he's talked to The Miz. These are two guys that Punk has publicly said some things about and the reports were, hey, he was going there to make amends because you want to know why? It's almost been 10 years since WWE has had CM Punk. Has CM Punk been in WWE's like business chambers? It's almost been 10 years. People change in 10 years. Sometimes your anger dies down in 10 years. So guess what? He goes there and he talks it out. And apparently they're good now. Because as we can see, the proof is in the pudding. Punk is back in WWE. Now, where does this lead us into? I don't know. I think WWE is not going to be stupid. I think they're going to have CM Punk on Monday Night Raw. And I think they're going to have CM Punk start Monday Night Raw off. Just going to be completely honest. If they don't have him start, Damn it, they're going to have him in Monday Night Raw, and you're going to hear him speak one way or another. You're going to hear him speak. If it was my best money, I would probably save him. I'll save him for the end of Monday Night Raw, so that could be another cliffhanger. Have people tune into Monday Night Raw. You'll gain the people's views at the beginning of Monday Night Raw, because they'll stay there. But then... You might get some people click away because you don't have Punk already start. But once you start off by saying CM Punk will be here, guess what? People will stay there and they'll want to watch and they'll watch all the wrestling. And then they'll be waiting and clamoring, biting at the fingertips just for Punk to show up on their TV scenes, screens. And then guess what? The last segment, you get Punk out there with a free-form microphone and just let him rip. The same way that AEW let CM Punk rip whenever CM Punk made his legitimate return back to professional wrestling 
on the first episode of AEW Rampage. That's all you got to do. Let Punk rip at the end of Monday Night Raw. Let him just be there, free reign. Let him talk, let him speak, and everybody will be satisfied. Now, do I think Punk's going to go into detail about AEW stuff? No. Do I think he's going to mention certain things that happen at AEW, like dance around it? Oh, yeah. Punk's a master at that. So, again, his time now in WWE, it has begun once again. I'm happy. I think the people in WWE are happy. I think a lot of the wrestlers in the back are happy because now you got a new crop of talent that always heard about CM Punk but never got to see him backstage, got to see him actually work in their eyes. So now they're going to be able to interact, get to be able to learn from him and get to actually see who he truly is as a person, and they'll be able to make their own decisions. That's just my personal opinion. I think people are happy. You might get some people that are not happy, but guess what? The top ranks are happy. The top brass is happy to have Punk there, and that's all that matters at this point. So Punk's going to make money for WWE. WWE's going to make money with Punk, and uh, I don't expect Punk to be there every, well, every Monday Night Raw or every SmackDown. He's not going to do every live event. I think he got one of those, uh, if he has a contract, I think he probably got a Brock Lesnar-esque contract, a probably Roman Reigns-like contract. Probably not as much money as Roman Reigns, but enough. You know what I mean? So, I spent enough time talking about CM Punk. You can already tell. I'm happy that CM Punk's back. Anytime that Punk is in any wrestling organization, I am extremely happy because that guy was away for so long and you had the fans clamoring for him for so long and he just came back in AEW. His time ended crappy and now he's back in WWE where his time, first time, ended crappy. Now he gets to do it as a redo and people are seeing it as a big F you to AEW. I'm loving it. I can't wait to see how AEW responds with this. I can't wait to see how WWE like, continues on with CM Punk, this is going to be great on both ends, because now AEW has to step their game up, and they're going to be able to do what they want. Now, there's no, uh, there's no baggage now of baggage of saying, yo, this is the Punk situation, Punk this, Punk that. Nope, Punk's gone, Punk's over at the other show. Now, it's going to be up to you guys, the wrestlers over there, to guess what, get it all together, get it all figured out, because if it's not right, guess what, it wasn't the punk situation, it's because of you guys not being able to figure something out over there, but if something starts to happen over there in WWE, and stuff starts to leak out about backstage problems with people dealing with punk, and trust me, you'll hear about it, because trust me, that kind of stuff won't stay quiet for so long if it does happen, Guess what? Then we'll all be able to say collectively with the new batch of talent that's there in WWE, no longer being the Vince McMahon show, is now under TKO. You can now say, okay, Punk was always a problem. Now you'll be able to say that if something comes out about Punk having problems with WWE or WWE legitimately having problems with CM Punk. Now you get to have that with this go around with Punk going to WWE. You'll be able to say that. So, again... This was Survivor Series. The War Game matches were good. Uh, you had three televised shows, well, three televised matches on a premium live event show here. It is what it is, but the big thing to take away is Randy Orton is back. This is going to set up a lot of stories that I'm happy for, and also he got jacked in the meanwhile, 
And also Punk is back. And also Punk got bigger too, by the way. Punk got bigger. That's crazy. Punk was just on the television screens, what, three months ago? Three, four months? And now he's back being more, like, jacked up too? That's crazy. Anyway, that was your Survivor Series review. This has been my Two Cents Podcast. I hope you guys enjoy yourself. Have a great Sunday or whenever you're listening to this. If you didn't listen to my Sunday episode, it's available right now. Go listen to that. And I'll be back with you guys this upcoming Saturday with Wrestling Highlights of the Week. But with that, have a great day. You'll hear from me later. And enjoy yourself.